Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. It's been a while since I've been up here. Hello, everyone who are tuning in online. Uh, it's good, good to be here. I told my daughter, Elise, who's doing the video on the live stream, that I will do my best not to pace the stage too far and get out of the, get out of the frame. But um, it's good to see you. Thanks for being here, and um, I look forward to to a short time with you this morning. By the way, the children are staying. I guess everyone pretty much knows that already. Um, right, so how many of you are ready to say goodbye and good riddance to th 2020? Can I see a show of hands? Yes. 2020, <laughs> goodbye. <laughs> so uh, it's been a... It's been a a tough year to to say the least. Uh, it's been a, a crazy year. This will be a year I think that we will all remember in various ways. Uh, to many, it's been um, very difficult. Um, many of us right here have experienced very difficult things, very challenging things. Um, some of you may feel that you're just holding on um, by a bare thread as we end this year and go into the next. Some of you maybe feel like you're, you're like a candle with a, just a, a flame that's just about to go out, just flickering kind of in the wind and at any time could, could be snuffed out. Well, you're not alone. All of us, many of us, most of us have experienced heartache, pain, challenges, difficulty, grief to some extent or another. But I want to just be an encouragement to everyone this morning as we look to 2021, as we look to the, the new year, and we look to our God who's going to lead us into it. One thing that's encouraging is that Jesus understands and actually came to this earth as we've been listening to Phil uh, talking during this Christmas series about uh, Jesus and his, uh, the, the gift that he is, the gift that he, that he was, and, and what he came for. And I thought it was a good reminder um, to, to look at some of the prophetic things that, that were said about him early on, and I just want to start by saying, uh, this is back in Isaiah, and what Isaiah had to say about our Lord. Remember, these are uh, hundreds of years before the Lord Jesus Christ came. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. This is, by the way, Isaiah 42, 1 through 4. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. Let me say that again. A, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. 
He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. Those are encouraging words of a, of a savior who understands the place where we might be in life today and where we have been throughout the year. Another place in Isaiah, he describes him even further, and this is Isaiah 61. He says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me. And remember, these are the, Lord's, the words that the, our Lord spoke uh, when he began his ministry here. He launched out with these words. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty. Uh, let me read that again. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I think it's encouraging to, to know that our Lord not only knows how to deal with those who are in a fragile place, a bruised reed, he will not break a, a smoldering wick, a, a candle, a, a flame that's about to go out. He will not snuff out. He knows how to be gentle and to protect and to care for the things that are fragile. And so many of us have found ourselves in that place multiple times throughout this year. And it's encouraging to know that our Lord and the description of him so long ago was that he would be one who would not only be able to uh, be so careful with the bruised reed or the smoldering wick, but he also will be able to bind up the brokenhearted and he will be able to set the captives free. Now, I often think about that setting the captives free. And if you think about Jesus's ministry when he came, and what it looked like. You know, he didn't go into the prisons and set prisoners free in, in the literal sense. But, and this was literal too, but in the spiritual sense, he was setting prisoners free every day. Those who were in bondage to Satan, 
those who were in bondage to the kingdom of darkness. He would set them free, whether it was a sickness, whether it was uh, a stronghold of the mind, whether it was a physical uh, disability. He was setting those captives free. And that was a big part of his ministry. And it's, it's encouraging to remember that not only is he binding up the brokenhearted, which many of us can say amen to that, but he is also setting the captives free. And that ministry goes on today. That wasn't just something he did back then. He actually threw his body on earth today through the, the body of Christ. He is continuing to bind up the brokenhearted to set the captives free. So Jesus understands your sorrows and he wants to give you peace and he wants to deliver us from our bondages. And you know, we often don't even realize the, the captivity or the bondages that we have in our lives, but often they're there and often they are um, kind of sucking the life out of us, so to speak, and making life much less um, enjoyable. And when we think about our Lord, that was important to him when he came setting the captives free. You know, in Ephesians, it talks about what this fight is really about. And I just want to read from Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 to 15. Paul writes, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I don't think it could be more clear, right? Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And it goes on to describe the armor of God. But it, it's fascinating to me to see how Paul so clearly explains to us what this, this battle is all about. It's not against flesh and blood. Oftentimes we want to make it about flesh and blood. And, and when we see things going on in the world or um, violence that's happening, we we often want to kind of equate it to the flesh and blood. And, and that's, that's a part of, of this. But the, at the root, we're talking about a spiritual battle. We're talking about kingdoms at war with one another. 
the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. And Paul reminds us that that's what we're actually fighting. So in everything that we, that we do and, and every, and every response that we have to the things of the world, we, we must remember that this is really what's happening. The fight is not flesh and blood. It's a spiritual one. And often it manifests through flesh and blood. But it's those authorities and those rulers that we don't necessarily see, but they are in operation. And they are targeting God's kingdom. So that's a good reminder for us. So if we're in a fight, and this is, this is for us to remember and to prepare ourselves for going into 2021. We don't know what 2021 is going to bring us. We certainly never expected some of the things that have happened in 2020. But we can be better prepared for what's to come. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, has made so many things available to us to help prepare us for what's to come. And if we've learned anything from 2020, we've learned that we can be surprised at what can come into our lives. And so I want to just remind us about some of the things that we can do in preparation for 2021 and what's going to come our way. The first thing I wanted to mention is the word and truth. God was so gracious to leave with us his word, his spoken word written down for us to be able to read and, and um, plant in our hearts and in our minds so that this can actually be the plumb line of truth, the plumb line of who he is and what his character is all about. So he was very gracious to, to leave us the word. And he is a God of truth. And I think that's one of the things that probably, uh, what's the word, frustrates me the most in, in this day and time is how we see the chipping away of truth and how so many things that are not true can be proclaimed as if they are truth. And I think we're going to only see more of that. But our God is a God of truth. And we're going to be facing deception and lies more and more as we do already. So it's so important that we know what is truth. What has God said? He is the author of truth. And so this is has always been and will be even more so vital for us to be able to handle the things that are going to come our way in these end times, if you will. So there's truth. There's the word. An example of this is Jesus himself when he was faced with attacks and challenges from his adversary. In Luke chapter 4, 
verses one through 13, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. <clears throat> and he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, and just a little side note, Jesus doesn't say that that's not true, Satan. He never contradicts what Satan has just said. But he answers with this, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. It's interesting. We all, sometimes we want to see that as, okay, Jesus won that battle. It's done. It's over with. That's it. But actually, Satan only left him until the next opportunity to come against him again. And how much more should we expect, not just one testing or one or even three temptations, but many, many, many attacks from our enemy who doesn't give up very easily. But it's interesting to see how Jesus deals with Satan's attacks. He deals with his adversary by speaking truth, quoting God's word. And I remember when I was teaching one time and I was talking about um, God's word and getting his scripture in us and stuff. And I remember one lady asked this question. She, she really struggled with this and she was, she was very, um, I could tell she was a little bit distraught because she really can't, has a hard time memorizing scripture. And she just was so frustrated that, you know, that was seemed like such an important thing that she needed to do, but she really struggled with that. So what I said to her, I want to say to all of you, Memorizing scripture is, is fantastic, but I want to help you a little bit by just saying, this is just a practical little uh, tip here. You don't have to memorize word for word exactly what it says, but if you understand God's truth and get his truth in you, you can then speak his truth in, in, this, in a different, uh, with different uh, paraphrase, if you will, in, in your words, but it's still God's truth. So don't worry so much about can I, can, which, which translation do I need to, to memorize and 
Can I get it exactly right? I mean, if you're good at doing that, that's fantastic. But get his truth in you. You will be surprised at how the spirit will bring his truth back out of you in your own words when the time to speak it is before you. So I just wanted to mention that. So the word and truth, this is one way that we cannot uh, neglect if we want to be better prepared for what the new year might bring. Another is thankfulness. And we sung some songs about this this morning. Thankfulness is one of those things that it's so powerful because you can do this and it's thankfulness is, is not a feeling. It's an act of your will. You choose to be thankful and you choose to be thankful because it's the right response for someone who has done such incredible things for you. So thankfulness there's scriptures all over the place. I just picked a very short one here that says, sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the most high. Thankfulness is actually a way of um, making sacrifices to God. You know how God had all of these ways of making sacrifices to him uh, and that brought him pleasure? Well, thanksgiving is our way of doing that. But thanksgiving is, being thankful is something that it's especially powerful when it's hard to be thankful or when you're in dealing with something that's very difficult because it can actually turn the situation around. And let me just, let me just tell you, to be thankful is to just Begin thanking the Lord. This is one way to, to, to be thankful. Just begin thanking the Lord for the many, many blessings he has bestowed upon us. And there are so many. Anyone living here in America has so many blessings and things for which to be thankful. So for me, just as an example, when I, when I choose to be thankful, I just begin to rattle off the gazillion things that I can be thankful for. Father, thank you for my family. Thank you for my loving wife. Thank you for my children. God, thank you for my house and a roof over my head. God, thank you for my car. Yeah, it's a 1999 <laughs> Nissan and it's got over 200,000 miles, but thank you for that car. It gets me from A to B. Thank you for our minivan that our whole family can ride in. Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for this building. And you can just go on and on. And actually, we should go on and on because there are so many things for which to be thankful. And God actually loves to hear that from us. It's dear to his heart. Anyone who has had children knows what it feels like when your child actually on their own initiative thanks you for the things you've done for them. And it's not just your children, it's anybody, anyone who has recognized and acknowledged and, and has taken the time to thank you for what you've done. It, it, it moves you. It's a blessing to hear that. And it's a blessing to our God. And not only that, but he has talked about it so much in scripture. And we have seen so many examples of how it can change an atmosphere. It can change your spirit and your attitude. So if we want to, and, and part of this is, 
helping prepare us for what's going to be coming so that we're not always on the defensive, but we can be on the offensive. We don't have to react to everything that comes against us, but we can actually move and, and take the initiative to get to a different place, to put our hearts and our spirits in a different place. And thankfulness is a, an incredible way to do that. And I don't care if you don't feel like it. I, have to, I say that to myself. It doesn't matter if I feel like being thankful or not. It doesn't matter if it just comes naturally or not. I choose to do it. And as I do it, it's amazing how it shifts my, my emotions and my attitude and my uh, outlook on everything. So thankfulness is an incredible and powerful weapon and tool for dealing with life's difficulties that come your way. And you have so much to be thankful for. And if you keep those things, keep coming to your mind that you don't like and you're not thankful for, just push those aside. You've got so many, we've got so many other things that we can, we can start thanking God for. And it's amazing how the, these things, it just, they just kind of fade in, in light of all of those blessings that you're thanking God for. Another thing is praise. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15 says, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. That's another way of offering sacrifices to God is, is through praise. And praise is another actually easy thing to do if you think about who God is and you just start praising him for who he is, praising him for his, his love, his care, his protection, praising him for saving you, for sending his son, praising him for him being a, an almighty God, thanking him for being a God of, of truth, a God of mercy, a God of justice, a God of love. Just acknowledging who he is, lifting him up high. You know, we hear that, that phrase a lot, lifting him high. It's just it's putting him up high. Not ourselves, not anything going on around us, but lifting him up through praise, praising him and who he is. Another one is good deeds. And you might be a little surprised by that, but actually good deeds is spoken of so often in scripture, both in Old Testament and New Testament, that our good deeds are to follow us, that our good deeds are, um, we are to be clothed in them. And, and so, so many scriptures, uh, just a couple of examples, Hebrews, the very next verse says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. 
Good deeds. We're not talking about works of the law and religious works of the Old Testament law. What we're talking about is doing good. God has done so much for us. And he actually expects us to now take those blessings that he has bestowed upon us and especially through his son, Jesus Christ, and to begin to do good with all that he has given us. He has a mission and it's to, it's to bind up the brokenhearted. It's to set the captives free. It's to love those who belong to him, to love one another, to show love to others. It's to, uh, bring truth and bring light in dark places. There's just so many things he wants us to, to be doing. That is part of our mission on earth while we're here. And good deeds is, is a part of that. So to whom much is given, much is required. He's given us so much. And he actually wants us to, to be outward focused, doing good to others. A lot of times people, um, they get into a, uh, a type of grace theology that says anything you do is wrong. And that is so, so contrary to scripture. So please don't ever swallow that teaching of you shouldn't be doing anything. Jesus himself told so many parables of expectations of us doing good to others. I mean, look at the, just the story of the Good Samaritan. Who, who is my neighbor? And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. It's not about just recognizing who my neighbor is. It's about someone doing good to someone else. But so many times in scripture, it talks about the good deeds of his people and how they will, they will follow us. They, we will be clothed in them. So doing good. Another example is in Galatians. Chapter six, verses nine and 10, it says, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It couldn't be more clear. And this is just one of many examples throughout scripture that talks about us, God's people doing Good, good deeds. Another, another uh, tool or weapon, if you will, to help us in this fight is the authority that we have in the name of Jesus Christ. And I think this, this can sometimes become, in a, in, a, in a way, cliche in the church. We hear it said a lot. We even use it in our prayers, but I think we sometimes forget what this really means. And if we, if we really examine scripture, we start to see what Jesus meant by using his name, praying in his name and doing his works through his name, because the authority that we have as his people, the authority that we have here on earth now as his body is through his name. And that's a, uh, a significant thing that we need to, to learn. Just a, a quick example in Luke 
chapter 10, verse 17. This is after the 72 had returned. He had sent them out on their own, two by two, to do uh, the works, to do the ministry that he has been training them to do. And they come back and they, they say, the, the 72 returned with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. They were surprised. They had not done these types of works before. But Jesus sent them out saying, go, take the authority you have in my name. I'm not going to be with you, but go in my name and do the things I've been showing you to do. And they go out and they actually do them. And to their surprise, it's working because they're using his name and the, the authority is in his name. The authority has been given to him. And we operate in that authority by doing it in his name, in his authority. So the name of Jesus is, is not to be underestimated. The authority of Jesus. Now, there is a sense that we need to know what, who it is whose authority we're using. That's, that's important. But I think often we, we don't use the authority enough that God has given us. And I think now more than ever, we have to learn how to start using the authority that he's given us. Let me give you an example. One thing that I began learning and picking up through scripture and seeing how Jesus was doing ministry when he was here is so often when he was doing ministry, he was not stopping and praying for the, for the sick person or the, uh, the demon-possessed person and, and, and asking God to, to do this. Now, God heal this person. Now, God um, set this person free. No, he was speaking with commands and authority. And people saw it. People knew it. They, they could recognize this man spoke speaks with authority. He's different. And Jesus demonstrates this during his years of ministry here, teaches and trains his disciples to do the same, and then gives to them his authority in his name and told them to go and now use that authority. And actually that is to be passed down to all of his people and followers and to be continued as his body on this earth to begin using or to continue using his authority to do the works that he wants us to do. So even examples of his, uh, his disciple, his apostles, after he had gone, uh, ascended to heaven, there were examples of them continuing to use that authority speaking with that authority in his name to, to command healing, to command demons, to, to leave a person. Now, somehow, often with the, with the Western church, somehow we have drifted away from that. Not, not all circles. Some circles, they maybe go to the extreme the other way, but... Um, it's not to say everything is something that you can simply 
command and, and it's going to be healed or um, if it's spiritual that you can simply command and it's going to be gone. I've, I've dealt with some very hard lessons in life that it doesn't always happen that easily. But let me tell you something. I have experienced and my family as well have experienced enough realities of the authority of the name of Jesus Christ that I will never stop using that name. Does it mean when I speak to a sickness and I command it to go in the name of Jesus, it always goes? No, no, because not every sickness is, is necessarily spiritual. Not every sickness, um, it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work. I, don't, I can't explain to you why sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but I can tell you that it's, it's I've seen results enough times that it would be crazy for me not to. Now, many people don't ever do that. And it's a shame that you don't because that's what God wants us to do when he talks about using the authority we have in the name of Jesus. To, to, to use authority means don't, you don't have to continue going back to the one who gave you the authority and ask him to do the work. He has given us the authority. He wants us to operate in that authority. Now, if you are going to be, if we're going to be fra so fragile that if we speak in the name of Jesus Christ and command a, a sickness to go or rebuke this or that and nothing happens and then we say, oh, it's, it's, there's nothing to it. It's hollow. Listen, don't go into it like that. Be prepared for things not to work because it often doesn't work. But listen, what if there is a sickness that you can command to go in the name of Jesus Christ and it will go, but you don't ever do that? Some people say, well, God wouldn't let me just suffer with that. He would surely just take it away. I don't know how else to say this, except that's not, that's wrong because it happens all the time. Jesus set a, a woman who was hunched over, doubled over for like 18 years. And he set her free on a Sabbath and they were mad at him for doing it. How did he set her free? What did he say about her? He said, why should I allow someone who's been bound up by Satan for 18 years to not be free on the Sabbath? This woman had been dealing with this crippling ailment for however many long years, 18, I think it was, if I'm remembering correctly. But why would God let that happen when it just needed to be dealt with with authority? I don't have the answer for you. I just know from reading scripture enough that God chooses to do his work through his chosen instruments, through his people. He, he does. You can read throughout scripture. He chooses to do things in that way. That's why we have such a responsibility to, to be instruments in his hands and to be those who are going forth and doing, doing his work and allowing him to use us to do those things. So back to this authority in his name. Some people, uh, it can be, it can just, it can be awkward. 
to speak in this way. It can seem strange. It may make you sound, heaven forbid, charismatic. <laughs> it, it, no, really, it, some people think it's just, that's just, but do you understand that it's actually scriptural? That Jesus actually demonstrated it. He not only spoke to sickness, he not only spoke and rebuked fevers, he spoke and rebuked the winds and the waves. If you read it, it's the, he's using the same kind of terminology, whether he's rebuking a sickness, whether he's rebuking a, a, spirit, a, a demonic spirit, or a, a, the weather. How many of you are willing to go out and rebuke the weather? But listen... That's how Jesus demonstrated ministry to us. So I can't critique that. He is the one who taught us. And again and again, we see examples of even his followers using this authority that he's given us in the name, in his name. And there's, there's something about it that we cannot just ignore. Now you can choose to to just not go there because it's too awkward. It's just weird. I'm not going to do it. I don't even like to pray out loud. No. Okay. God's going to let you make your decision because he's not going to override your free will. If you don't want to use his authority, that's fine. But don't complain to him. If there's an ailment you have that could be rebuked in the name of Jesus and gone in no time and you choose not to do it, why go and complain to him when he's giving you the authority? And he says, deal with it. Now, again, this isn't going to cover everything. You understand, I have prayed probably for more things and nothing happened than things that I prayed for with authority and they have happened. But the things that have happened, oh my goodness, I will never stop doing it. And my children can attest to some of these things because some of them deal with sicknesses that they they were experiencing. Now, does it mean that if I address something as uh, spiritual or I talk to it and command it in the name of Jesus, that that means that this person must have a demon? That doesn't want, that's not what it means. It could. But so many times in Scripture, things that we would label with a, a medical label, Jesus called it a demonic stronghold or bondage. Jesus dealt with a demon, an evil spirit. He commanded it to go, even though it looked like just a typical medical thing. Now you explain that. Some people say, well, he, he did it in such a way that they would understand it back then because they didn't have all the medical terminology and understanding and science and blah, 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 hogwash. Jesus dealt with it because that's what it was. He dealt with it in that way because he discerned what it was, what the root was. You can call it all the medical things you want. You're not going to get to the root. Jesus got to the root. He used the authority that he had. And he gave his followers, his disciples, the same authority. Now again... The reason I spend so much time on this is because, listen, we're getting into things that we've never experienced before and weren't prepared for, and we need to learn how to use the things God has given us. 
or else we're going to be, we're going to be victim to whatever comes our way. So if you don't want to be victim to whatever comes our way, and I tell you, Jesus, our Lord, our God does not want you to be, then we need to start using some of the things that he's given us. But don't take my word for it. Get into the scripture and pay attention to every time Jesus faces a, a person who is, uh, has a demon, whatever way that looks like, well, however that manifests, whether it's throwing himself in the fire, whether they're, um, they're speaking out. Remember Paul ran into the, the little girl, the girl that the people were using as a way of divining and telling the future and stuff like that. And she was, she kept saying, these are the servants of the almighty God. And finally, Paul got sick of hearing it. She was following around, driving him crazy. And he turns around, rebukes the spirit, the demon out of her. And the owners were so mad because now they had no way of using her to, to gain money. So, So what are you saying, David? Are you saying that if I come down with COVID-19, I should command it to go? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Will it go? I don't know. <laughs> I can't answer that for you, but you can find out. And I don't even think you should do it just once. Listen, even Jesus himself, even Jesus himself, did not get immediate resolve when he spoke to a demon or a disease. Remember when he was healing the blind man who couldn't can see and he, and he put spittle, he spit in the mud and he wiped in his eye and everything. Can you see? And he's like, everybody looks like trees walking around. And he wasn't, so Jesus didn't, he didn't end there. He continued to push in until the man could see clearly. If you ever pay attention to when he went to the, to the Gerasenes and the demoniac came to him. If you pay attention to the scripture, you will see that the, the, the legion of demons began pleading with him to, to send them to the pigs. And that was after Jesus had already commanded them to go. So what I'm saying is he commanded them to go and they didn't go right away. Jesus himself. Does that mean he doesn't have the authority? No, I'm just saying that's, that's how it went down. So if it went down like that with Jesus, I think we can expect to have some resistance, I think. So what that means is don't just quit on the first try. My goodness, I have with my children. <laughs> I'm sorry. When you see a loved one suffering, I don't mean serious suffering, but suffering. And that's the last thing you want for them. It just breaks your heart. And there's been times where we've dealt with something and we were praying and nothing was shifting. But because of my stubbornness to fight for my children, I did not give up. And we pressed in and sometimes I had to engage them come on, you need to open your mouth and begin speaking. And several times when that, this has happened, we have seen things shift and change in an instant. It wasn't right away in the beginning, 
But when deliverance came, it came fast. Whether it was a deliverance just from a sickness or from being harassed by some demonic spirit, I don't know. But I will tell you as the father of my house, I am not going to sit back and let things happen and say it must be God's will. Now, it might be God's will. But unless you are, have keen gift of discernment, I do not. Therefore, I'm going to cover all of my bases. And I am going to stand against any possible attack of the enemy on my family and my household. If nothing shifts and I persist and nothing shifts, then I, I can maybe determine that this is, this is not of a spiritual nature or this might be something that God wants us to learn from and through trial, through testing. And listen, that's, that's real. Testing, uh, being tested, God allows testing to come our way. Trials, suffering, it's a hard one to talk about. It's a hard one to hear and to, and to think that that might be something God wants to allow in our lives. But it is, and it's the truth. Why? Because God knows what it will do to help make your faith genuine. God is very concerned about your faith being genuine. And so there are things he's going to allow in your lives so that your faith will become real. Because there's only, gonna, there's only certain things that will cause you to truly turn to him and lean on him and, and call out to him and trust in him. I wish it wasn't that way, but I'm speaking from my own experience. That there's, there's certain things that will, that will drive me to the Lord faster than other things. Suffering is one of those things that God has spoken about many times in scripture and the, and the, the New Testament writers have spoken about as a way that it will build endurance. And actually scripture talks about rejoicing in your suffering because of the, the rewards it will bring because of the, the way it will strengthen your faith. So it's really not something that we should be upset about whether it's persecution, whether it's suffering, but it doesn't make it easy, but God promises to help us through it. Phil, Phil, if, if you, Phil is one who can speak to suffering uh, with authority because he's been through some really incredible things with his eyes and the surgeries he's had to have. And um, so I often, I, I kind of shy away a little bit from that topic because um, he's, he's a much better authority on that than, than I am. But no, no one really wants to hear that. But listen, there are those times that, that where God sends that, God allows that into your life because you have covenanted with him and he has covenanted with you. And he has however many years with you on this earth to prepare you to enter into his kingdom for eternity. And he has covenanted with you to prepare you for that. So he knows what's best and what he needs to allow into your life to make you ready so don't, don't be mad if he has to use some things like that to prepare us because it's all for good. It's all for good. The final thing I want to say 
and this isn't, this wasn't even in my notes. I, I wrote this because I couldn't, I just, um, I couldn't get away from it. And it's, if I could sum this year up in one word, what would I choose? Um, when I say sum this up, like, like if something was on my heart for people and it would be fear. I think we have all recognized the power that fear can have in people's lives. Fear Listen, fear is a God-given emotional response to danger. And, and that's a God-given design thing that he has put in us. But there's, a, there's another kind of fear that goes way beyond that. And that fear, my friends, is part of this kingdom of darkness. And that fear is a spirit that wants to control you. Control you. Romans uh, 6.16, he says this, Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. God, whoops. You can just clear that slide um, on there. I didn't mean to click on that one. So many times in scripture, God talks about, tells his people not to fear. Do not fear. Be courageous. Be bold. And we even see the things that he has called his servants to do, his followers to do. And listen, these are not easy things that we see in scripture that they were called to do. Very difficult things. Very difficult. But the incredible thing is God actually provides what we need, the strength we need to do so. He promises to go there with you, but that doesn't sometimes come right away. But here's the thing. There's a fear that's beyond the, the natural God-designed fear to help keep you from danger. And there's a, there's a fear beyond that. And that fear can be a, a spirit of fear who wants to enslave you. How do you get enslaved to fear? Exactly how Paul describes it. You obey it. What you obey will become your master. And we must understand that. That is a, a spiritual principle taught to us through God's word. What we obey becomes our master. Fear will try to control you and dictate what you do in life. And the more you obey it, the more grip it has over you. And this is, this is, this is real. I mean, this is something that cripples people. Fear wants to suck the life out of you. Many of us already know, we've already begun or have or are in it, are experiencing what fear can do. It can be the thief that 
steals your life. I'm serious. I, I, have, I have been there and I don't ever want to go back. And so I, I'm very quick to come against fear and to defy fear. This is one thing where God wants you to be rebellious. Do not obey fear. Fear will whisper to you, don't do that. Remember what happened last time. That's dangerous. You need to, you need to, oh, that, that, that person is, I mean, fear is such a liar, a liar. And so during this pandemic and this COVID-19, fear has had a heyday with people, a heyday with people. We, people have allowed the fear that has been propagated through media, through news, through others around them, the fear that has been pushed during this pandemic. We have become, many of us have become victims to it. And that is not what God wants. Listen, do you realize that you're not going anywhere until God says it's time? Ed, I'll, I'll never forget when Phil said to you, he quoted about, you know, when you were in the hospital emergency room after you had that stroke, that, listen, you're, he said, I can't remember who the quote was from, but Phil reminded us that you're invincible until God says it's time, invincible. Now we have to be balanced about that. You know, don't go start doing some of these extreme sports that it's just foolishness. They not only have these wingsuits, now they have wingsuits with jet packs on them. Have you seen this? They're literally wingsuits, which is crazy. So we do have to be balanced about it. But listen, we're, we're often allowing fear to gain more and more control over us until you will get to a place where you don't even know how it happened, but you are in the grips of fear. And fear knows very well how to operate and how to gain control over people if we allow fear to do that. And the more you obey it, the more control it has in your life. It's, it sounds simple, but it is. That's how fear gains control over people's lives most often. Now, sometimes it's a traumatic thing that has happened that you didn't ask for or want, but some traumatic thing has happened. Often it's that. And that caused a fear in your life. And sometimes that fear is so deeply embedded in us that we need the light to shine on it, to expose it for the lie that it is. Now, it doesn't mean there's not things to fear. Like I said, fear is a natural thing and there's dangers we need to fear and we need to avoid. But Satan and his cohorts will take it way beyond that if we allow it. So we have to learn to be defiant when it comes to fear. Defiant. Now, in this day of COVID-19 and wearing masks and all that stuff, listen, this is a difficult thing to navigate. It really is. And, and the elders, we are, we are often praying and, and 
discussing, you know, how to best navigate. This is something we've never, we've never been in this place before. So we want to, we want to be considerate of others. We want to protect others. But at the same time, we don't want to be controlled by fear. And if you, if you think that Satan's not using this whole thing to prepare for what comes ahead, you are, you are in denial. Satan is using this pandemic, this COVID-19, this chipping away of, of liberties, all of these things to prepare us for what's coming. And that's why it's so important that we step up our game to be ready for what's coming. Because this is not the 2020 is not the end of it. It's only the beginning of things to come. So, Fear will control you happily if you allow it. So the first thing we must do is recognize where it's controlling us. Now listen, here's the thing. When you're, when you're in the grips of fear that controls you, oftentimes you don't even realize it. You're blind to it. And this is why it's so important to be in a body of Christ, to be uh, with other brothers and sisters who can get to know you closely this is why uh, if you're married, for example, that you need to listen to your spouse when they're trying to tell you something and you're in denial about it. Listen, God put us together in such a way that we can help one another when we have blind spots. And this one is a biggie. There's a lot of people who are in the grips of fear and controlled by it and they don't even see it. So when someone's telling you something, concerning this, you need to pay attention and discern whether this is true in your life. Because that strong, that lie can become so real that you just believe it's reality. And it's actually a lie. It's actually a deception. It's actually just there to try to control you and to ruin your life. God doesn't want it. God has given us everything we need to stand firm against it. But it's your choice. It's our choice whether we apply these things and whether we stand firm on truth and not a lie. Well, I need to, I need to close. And I want to encourage you to make 2021 and the years to come, years of peace and freedom. God has provided everything that we need, but he's not going to force you to take those things and to apply them into your life. But he's, he, is, he is rooting for you, cheering for you. He is on your side. And when you do your part, he will be there to do his part, the part we can't do. And 2021 can be a year of peace and freedom like no other, certainly not like 2020. We can choose to do that. So I encourage all of you with that to, to set your minds on what lies ahead, not looking back, but set your mind and heart. Don't set your mind and hearts on the things of the earth. Stop watching the news. Listen, I'm just going to say it. Stop watching the news. Listen, I won't go long on this. But I have to do this myself. I like to stay up on current events and current affairs. 
and there's a place for that. But there's a place where we just need to say enough is enough. If you're going to live the way the media and the world wants you to live, you keep that stuff going, it'll just suck you in. It will suck you in way further than you want to go. You just need to turn it off and set your mind and your heart on the heaven and the things above and the things that God is saying. Those things are truth, and you can bank on them. It's okay to turn off the news. It's okay to not read the morning news. I just want to release you of that feeling of obligation to stay up on current affairs. It's okay to switch off. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your, your encouragement and reminder to us of all that you have provided for us to be able to stand firm in such a crazy, dark world and dark days. But God, nothing has taken you surprise. No COVID, no election, no nothing. Nothing has taken you by surprise. You have called us to rise above it all, and you have given us everything we need to do so. God, may we take this on board. May we take the things that you have provided for us and begin to use them. May we learn to operate in your authority, the authority in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life that we might have that authority. He gave his life that we might have his life living in us and through us. God, may we learn to operate so that we can come back to you and say, Lord, even the demons obey us in your name. Even the sickness, even the COVID-19 obeys us in your name. God, give us the faith to operate in that authority. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him. Uh-huh.